Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Well, it is a treat to be back, and uh, we are continue to be thankful for our partnership with Harvest and uh, grateful for your generosity on our behalf. And uh, it's a treat to be here and to hopefully be in assistance while your pastors and elders are uh, away and uh, just honored that uh, they felt safe to invite me back. So that's always, that's, that's always a good sign. So uh, we're, we're glad to, to be here this morning. And um, I know my kids were looking forward to it and, and all that. So it, it is really neat to, to be here. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with trees. Uh, all through my life, I've had good experiences and bad experiences, and uh, it's, it's, it's complicated. I feel conflicted about them. When I was real young, we lived in Ohio, and my grandparents lived down the road, and there was a tree at the bottom of their driveway that had kind of begun to rot out. And as a little boy, it was the greatest thing because you could kind of climb in and think that you were going to some other world and just all sorts of things. They had a little woods behind their house and, and it was fantastic to play in, in, that with, in the trees with my friends in the neighborhood and, and, and that. We had a tree, on the other hand, that was in our yard at our house and we built, my dad helped, and we built a tree house. And you'd think, man, that should be on the good list, right? Unfortunately, like the neighborhood bullies uh, lived right on our property line there. And within probably like two days of building the tree house, they claimed it for their, their, their own. And I hardly ever played in it anymore because I was a little scared of the big, bad Pennington family. Um, and, and really, there was maybe some legitimacy to that. I won't go into all the stories, although it would be fun. But just, there, like, some of the highlights involved pit bulls and SWAT teams, and uh, wasn't wasn't the greatest. It was a really nice neighborhood, but uh, they, they kind of struggled. Later... Uh, later on in life, in college, I went to a Bible college in northeast Pennsylvania, kind of near the Pocono Mountains, and in the fall time, to see the beauty of God's creation and the trees, and if you're ever in that part of the world, in the, about the first or second week of October, it's really an amazing place to see God's beauty and his creation. But again, in college, I had a bad experience with a tree. I was at a camp in Wisconsin on a, on a team helping at a Bible camp, and they had a counselor hunt, glorified hide-and-seek for high schoolers. And uh, I had been there the year before, and I had my spot all picked out, and they told me right beforehand, that's out of bounds this year. You can't go there. So then at the last minute, I was scrambling to find a spot, and I decided, I know, I'll climb this pine tree. And I climbed all the way up to the top of it, and pine trees tend to be really brittle, and uh, a branch broke, and I came falling down about 30 or 40 feet from the tree, and thankfully, my left arm caught a big branch at the end, 
and it broke my arm in half, but it slowed me down enough where I didn't like die. So that was, you know, a good and blessing. But, you know, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm a little shaky on pine trees now. Uh, not, not the greatest. Uh, then recently at our home, we've moved into a new home in the area here in the last few years, and the previous residents really liked trees, really liked trees. And I think they were concerned that the, the trees would take it personally if they ever trimmed them. And so it was, it's all overgrown and we've spent the last few years just trying to like rein it in. We've taken down trees and removed trees and, and all of that. And then fall comes around and you know, it's beautiful in Pennsylvania when you like drive through and you don't have to deal with the leaves, but then when they all dump in your yard and uh, you're responsible for getting rid of them, not so much fun. But we'll end on a good note. Two weeks ago, we got a tree swing in one of the trees for uh, my kids and they love it and then all the neighborhood kids are coming over and it's a great, a great thing. And so uh, trees, right? We're going to think about two trees today from Scripture. And again, we're going to kind of uh, have a little bit of a love and a hate relationship with them. I invite you to turn with me to uh, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 17. It's probably just about like exactly halfway through your Bible. But uh, if you're getting to Isaiah, Jeremiah, you're on the right track. Isaiah chapter 17, and I want to read for us these verses. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. It says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim. Besides every green tree and on high hills, on the mountains and every open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil, as the price for your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know, for my anger, for in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever." And listen to this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub or a tree in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So we start, I want to think about uh, the question there of why 
those last two verses are there. We kind of have this poetic description of the the shrub or the tree in the desert compared to the tree that's, uh, that's by the water. And then it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Why, why is that the conclusion to this comparison between these two trees? And I think the answer is this. We tend to, and Israel, the southern tribes of Judah, certainly at this stage in their career or their, their uh, history, were doing this. The first 17 chapters of Jeremiah give us all the details of it. But we tend to think of ourselves as the second tree. Of course. You know, we're here at church on Sunday. We want to be with God's people. We, we sing about and lift our voices to the Lord in praise and praise and we pray to Him. We're the tree planted by water with the roots that will endure and that we produce fruit in our lives in all seasons, good and bad, and no matter what comes, we're ready. And none of us want to think of ourselves as that first tree. I mean... How, how fun is it really to think of yourself as a withered, weak tree that can be pulled out of the ground with just a little bit of effort for a time? I lived in the state of Washington, and although it's called the Evergreen State, some of you may know this, but most people are surprised there's a, uh, a shadow, a rain shadow, from the uh, Olympic Mountains, the Cascade Mountains. That means all the water and moisture falls in the mountains, and then there's no more left. And so I lived, when I lived in Washington State, in an area called the Tri-Cities, and it's desert. And so we could go out, and you could go, and there was a little path that I, we could cut through the desert to go to my friend's house. Uh, if you wanted to be a little more adventurous. But along the way, there were little trees and shrubs and all of that. And you can. You can literally go through and just grab them and pull them out. And there's nothing to them. And that's the, that's the picture that, uh, that Jeremiah is presenting here. And he's saying this. Judah, <laughs> you think you're the strong tree. But you're actually that tree out in the desert that doesn't produce any fruit, that can get pulled up and destroyed in a moment's notice. And the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Kind of rhetorically. Because you don't (laughs) know even your own hearts. God knows it. To use a little bit of a, of a different illustration, uh, there's all these superhero movies and, and all of that uh, out these days, and so there's all sorts of costumes. Um, we had to go to Costco just yesterday, and Asher, you know, they got the, the costumes out already for Halloween, so they make a beeline to, to check it out. And they have the costumes now for the superheroes, for the kids, where like the muscles are built in, 
Well, that's kind of another way to think about this passage. We think we've got the muscles. We think we're ready to go and all of that. And then an actual crisis comes, you know, the damsel in distress, and we need to lift the car or do whatever the case is. And we find out, oh, no, (laughs) there's no real substance here. We're presenting ourselves as some big hero, but in reality, we're just kind of an empty shell. Now, some of us might be listening and thinking and saying, well, that was Israel and that was Judah, and man, they were messed up. I'm, I got it under control. I'd never go into those idols and you know all the stuff that the first few verses and the, the beginning part of Jeremiah talked about in that. Well, let me just remind us of a few verses from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Galatians 5.19 and 20 says, Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, which is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The reality is, is that it might take a little different form than it took in the Old Testament. We may not have literal idols that have been fashioned out of wood or silver or gold or that in our home or or that, that we worship. But the reality is, is that probably way more often than we care to admit, we are believing in an inaccurate view of God. We are believing in a God that's more of our own fashion than what the Bible presents. And probably along with that, we are boosting ourselves and convincing ourselves of our spiritual strength and vitality because we are worshiping and doing all of these wonderful things and yet underneath it all, There's a real danger for us that the heart (laughs) is desperately wicked and deceitful and that we may be worshiping a God that's a different God than the God of the Bible. I would say that we could maybe even, I won't go into all of this this morning, but just food for thought. I think if we we worked at it, I think we could even say that every time we sin, we are, in actuality, believing wrongly about God. That we are believing that He's different than He actually is. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the answer? How can we solve the problem, what is the, the answer to this problem of our self-deception that we so quickly fall into 
of believing we're spiritually strong and have a vitality to our spiritual life, but in reality, we're like Judah in the Old Testament. And we could be easily plucked out. I think the passage helps us, reminds us, and, and teaches us this simple lesson that God is the answer to our self-deception. God is the answer to our self-deception. Uh, verse 10, we read it before, but it says, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. God is the one who can cut through (laughs) our deception, can cut through our charades, and can reveal to us (laughs) and to others what's at the heart of it, what's at the heart of our spiritual lives. As parents, those of you that are parents, you know, we, we can kind of have a sense when our children might be lying you know, they something's happened. Uh, you know, we've heard that sound off in the bedroom. And we've heard the oops from our kids. And then you go and you ask what happens as there. These things happen a lot in our household in the bathroom. And so they're trying to frantically, like, clean up some mess that's, that's on the floor. And, uh, and you think, okay, what, what happened? I, I don't know. My kid, one of my kids' favorite phrases is, it, it was an accident. There's, I, there, we're still working on them actually knowing what an accident is, because basically anything that they can ever get in trouble for, it was an accident. Well, tell me what happened. Oh, I, uh, water. Okay, what, what really happened? And you, you, you push and that, and, and thankfully our kids are still... Lord willing, they'll remain this way, but at a, at a fairly sensitive age. And so, you know, oftentimes our great parenting t- technique of, you know, are you telling the truth? Uh, no, you know, like, it's, it's not that we're great interrogators. They're just sweet kids at this point in their life. Lord willing, they'll stay that way, but, but they, they show that. But the reality is, as parents, like, we're, it's kind of an imprecise science, You can't always figure it out. You don't always know what's going on. God is the perfect heavenly father. He always can get to the bottom of it. And no matter how good of a story we think we may have, and no matter how convinced we are of our own rightness, God sees right through. He is the answer to our self-deception. Because he sees right through it. Now thankfully, God is, uh, that's not all he does. You've probably seen, you may have seen the commercial uh, recently, it's for some credit monitoring service or whatever, and there's a, a robbery at a bank. And the people come in and the, you know, they're in mass, they're, they're taking over the bank, they're robbing it. And the security guard is there, and, and, you know, he says, we're being robbed, and the people are lying in the ground in fear, and they're like, well, are you going to do anything? 
And, and he says, well, I'm just, I'm just a monitor. I'm not a, I don't actually do anything. I'll just tell you that you're being robbed. Right? And the, the point is, you buy their credit service, and they, they actually do things besides letting you know that there's a problem with your credit score. In the same way, or a similar sort of way, God doesn't just say, knock it off. <laughs> you're being a hypocrite, you're lying, you're deceiving yourself. But he's also, in a positive way, the answer. If we skip ahead in our passage to verse 14. You see this. It says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. God does not just tell us you're being inaccurate about your view of yourself. He doesn't just cut through and say, stop lying to yourself and acknowledge the reality. God is also the source of our healing and the remedy to that, and that He accomplishes it in our lives. It's not just that He says, hey, you're really messed up, have fun fixing it. When you get it figured out, come to me. No, he says, I'm going to help you remember that you're really messed up. But the way to fix it is also to come to me and say, heal me, Lord. I need your help. I acknowledge that I'm believing wrongly about you, and that's resulting in actions that are contrary to what you desire. I need you. How specifically can we do this? If you want, you can turn to uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 kind of helps us to realize how we, can, how we can do this, how we can live this out. It says there, kind of maybe a little easier for us to get our minds around in a, a New Testament sort of context here, but it says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Okay, Or maybe we could say instead of if we say we have no sin, to when we say we have no sin. <laughs> we lie and the truth is not in us. But then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And the reason that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins, just to remind us, <laughs> is the gospel. Is what we sang about and proclaimed in Jesus Christ. That the deep love of the Father is this, that he sent his son Jesus to take the punishment 
for our sins so that he can look at us and say, the punishment's been paid. I forgive you. That he can look at us and say, you've dishonored me, but my son (laughs) has covered it. And I'm looking at you through the honor that he has. It's through Jesus Christ that God can be both the justifier and just in forgiving us. I wanted to share with you and, uh, and that, and, and your pastor asked, uh, asked that maybe at some point that I, that I do this, but uh, to share with you just a tool that we use uh, to kind of facilitate this process. And we don't have time to go uh, in-depth a lot to it this morning, but I trust that maybe it will be helpful for you, as we all, myself included, and I'll share an example from my own life just this week of, of how this plays out, but uh, of what this might look like as a process to help us realize how God exposes our self-deception and, and causes us to, to confess and to see uh, him as he truly is. So something we call fruit to root, going fruit to root. And when we come and you study the Bible, when you look at the Bible and you're reading in, in the morning or whenever, and you're going through and you're trying to understand what is God saying to me, we'll think about it on the left and we'll go through this. And so it's kind of a helpful way to, to think about it. To first think about, okay, who is this passage? What is this passage saying about who God is? In our passage, like in Jeremiah 17, who is God in that passage? Well, he reveals our self-deception, but he's also a healer, and he brings about the restoration in our life. What has he done? We can look at that in the Old Testament and see how it worked out in the life of Israel. But as we project as believers today and thankful for the finished work of Christ, we can see that, like in 1 John, he is faithful to, to forgive us our sins because of Jesus. And, and that's how he, he brings it about. And so, so who, who am I in light of that? How, and, and how should I live? Okay, I like in an ideal sense, like in, in Jeremiah 17, I, I recognize I can identify with them. <laughs> and and I acknowledge theoretically <laughs> I probably am like that shrub or that bo- that tree in the desert more than I realize. And and I need God's help. And and so I should live in a way where I go to him and I confess and I seek healing from him very quickly. The reality is, though, that our self-deception runs deep. (laughs) And we often find ourselves in in sinful circumstances. So if we reverse the order and we go from the fruit of our lives, we can get to the root of what we believe about God. So if we start this way, how am I living and then we think, well, well, what is that saying about who am I? And probably this may be also really good to do with someone else, like to help you, since this idea of self-deception, we tend to get the right answers instead of the real answers. Um, but to have somebody walk through it with you to say, okay, what, what are you doing, Scott? 
What, what is that showing you're believing about yourself? What, do you, what are you thinking that, what are you believing that God has done or is doing or maybe not doing to you? And then what does that mean that you're really believing about God? Now this is a little harder to, to get your mind around, so I want to just be a little transparent with you. I've, I've been here once, so I feel like it's a safe place. I hope that's true. No, I know it is. Here's what this process kind of looked like uh, in a circumstance in my life this week. Earlier this week on on Monday, uh, I had an opportunity to have a meeting uh, for a a good chunk of the day with some some ministry partners that uh, are involved and invested in, in our church and seeing it get established and it was a good meeting for the most part, but uh, part of the meeting and the evaluating process that we are working through and, and that caused uh, me to, to kind of have to reflect upon some, some disappointments that I've experienced along the way and maybe sometimes when, when people have been disloyal to me or, or, or maybe not acted in, in the greatest way that you'd think uh, another believer or church or whatever might. might. And uh, I probably didn't deal with it the best. You can touch base with my wife afterwards because she gets to deal with the fallout of all of these things. But uh, after that conversation, that night and the next day, um, you know, I kind of looked like somebody took my puppy. You know, I was moping. Uh, I was uh, sad, struggling with uh, just what was going on. If you think about like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, all you know, all those like not really there at all. (laughs) Probably a pretty good indication that that something's going wrong. And, and, I, and as I thought about it, and that, that's how am I living, that was me, Eeyore, okay? Uh, it, what was I thinking about who I am? Well, some of the thoughts that were going through my mind were like, I'm defeated. Um, I was thinking, like, I'm... I'm responsible for this and I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed and and it's I messed it up it's my responsibility to fix it. I can't like so I'm that's 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 who I am so what was I thinking that God had done to me or, or was doing to me uh, well some of the things that I was thinking went along the lines of God hasn't provided God hasn't provided what I needed to do my job as a pastor or to, to, to move things in the, the way that, that uh, wanted to, at least in that, the circumstances that we were talking about. That, that he had, had left me without everything that I needed. And so, so what does that really mean that I was believing about God? Well, 
to be honest, (laughs) I was believing that God's not good. That I needed something else. Because what God had given me or what God had designed really wasn't enough for me. And that instead, you know, I had to deal with some, some people and circumstances that were uh, a little less than loyal. I was also thinking some, some things like maybe, maybe God's not so gracious. I'm not super confident about his love towards me. And that, that rather than being generous and ever loving that he was not being so so kind now i probably haven't perfectly worked through that but i i'm thankful that i can stand before you today and say i've spent some time in confession over the last week and 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 admitting to god and to saying god i've i've believed and I was believing wrongly about you. And when I was processing aspects of that conversation, I went down a path that although I'm, you know, super pastor, most spiritual guy in the world, in reality, I'm that tree in the desert. And I I need you to come and to forgive me and to heal me and to restore me. And he did. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. And I just share that with you this morning, because as we talk and as we work through this and we, we say these things, and it's, it's easy to kind of to say, well, all the, the Christian cliches and, and to, to say, yeah, okay, I know we're supposed to, to confess and I know that we're supposed to seek God, but, but how actually can we do that? Um, I think that this process can be and is at least for me, a helpful one. Um, this is not an original thing that, that I've uh, concocted on my own. And if you're interested in learning more, you know, I can maybe suggest a couple of books or, or some different things to, to help you work through this on your own. But uh, to introduce it and to say to us here today, we live in a culture in a society, the things that we value are saying, I got it all figured out. But the reality, especially from God's perspective, is we're imperfect. (laughs) And we don't have it all figured out. And in big and small ways, day by day, we're believing something really wrong. The great news is, God doesn't just help us see we're messed up. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he provides for our healing and forgiveness as well. And so we can quickly go to him for that. Because God is the answer to our self-deception. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. 
you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.